Welcome to the Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church, where we encourage you to view the culture through the lens of the Holy Bible. Welcome back to the Bible and Our Culture, an outreach ministry of Liberty Remnant Church. I'm Pastor J. MacPherson, inviting you to look into the scriptures as we try to look at our culture through the lens of scripture, not look at scripture through the lens of the culture. We've been looking at Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, we see how Gideon was called by the Lord, even though he was afraid, even though he didn't feel adequate. God chose him anyway, an unlikely hero, to save Israel. This is encouraging to all of us who might feel inadequate in ourselves. That's irrelevant. If God has called us, we are well able to do what he's asked us to do. Gideon's only real credential anyway was God sent him and God was with him. That's the same for you and me. Our main credentials is that God is leading us and that we are obeying him. So Gideon gets this call and the first thing he has to do is destroy the false gods at his father's house. He had to tear down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole that was besides it and build a altar to the Lord. I find it interesting that we all began with defeating the false gods in our own home and our own lives first. When Gideon did this, people wanted to kill him, but he was learning to trust the Lord. He was learning to walk in faith regardless of what was happening. So in Judges chapter 7, Gideon has put a fleece before the Lord twice, and the Lord has revealed himself to him twice in two different ways, miraculously to Gideon, just as he did when he first showed up. The angel of the Lord revealed himself miraculously to Gideon. So Gideon's faith should be pretty encouraged. But in verse 10 of chapter 7, it says this, God's talking to Gideon, If you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the, Amid- the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Sounds like a pretty weird dream to me. But in verse 14, his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand. God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. What? That's a strange interpretation by a fellow Midianite that Gideon's going to destroy us. So in verse 22, it says, And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. What an exciting and encouraging word Gideon had. And how it responded, he responded to that with obedience. Now, I find it interesting when God suggested Gideon go eavesdrop on the enemy, God directed him to take a fellow Israelite with him. God said, Hey, take Pur, your right hand man. Don't do this alone. Do it within relationship. It seems like God does most everything in relationship. At Liberty Remnant Church, we feel God has called us to be a simple, relational, and biblical church. I think. 
Relationship is how most things get done in the kingdom of God. And he wants us to build relationships even as we fight the enemy. If we're doing a prayer march and we're going to bind and loose the demonic forces, let's do it together. If we're going to go confront evil in our legislatures and in uh, city council or wherever it may be, let's do it together. Let's do it within relationship. It's important to get to church. You might not feel like the church in your neighborhood is worthy of you. Well, I'm sure you've been hurt. I'm sure there's been issues in church. There always has been. But it's still really clear in scripture, be a part of a church. First Corinthians had all sorts of trouble porking out on the communion before others even got a, a little bit, blurting out during the worship service, sexual immorality, all sorts of stuff. Paul never told the Corinthian church, I don't even know why you guys go. You should just stay home and seek God on your own. He never says that. Neither does Jesus in Revelation, where he's writing letters to those seven churches. Most of them had some really serious issues. He never said, well, you guys should just stop going to church. Just call it quits. He still expected his people to be in church. And church is where relationships are formed, that healing takes place, that, that growth takes place, that maturity takes place. Get involved in the church and build godly relationships. You will get hurt. People are imperfect. This is an imperfect world. But God can heal and God can restore. And I'd rather live relationally as God commands than to try and do it on my own and try and prevent any pain from ever coming my way. The, the blessings of relationship in God's, God's kingdom, to me, far outweigh the problems that you're going to encounter along the way. God sent Gideon with a companion. And he and his companion heard a really strange story about the Midianites, this story about barley bread rolling down and attacking the tent of Midian. And the other guy interprets it as, oh, this is Gideon uh, who's going to, uh, God has given given our lives into his hand. That's a st strange story and a miraculous story because Gideon happened to eavesdrop on it all. Well, how did these guys even know who Gideon was? How did they know he even existed? It could have been, it was just simply some supernatural details that God gave them. But I tend to think more likely that they had military intelligence from something that Gideon had done. I mentioned earlier how Gideon's first assignment was to tear down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole at his father's house. And when he did it, great controversy. So I'm thinking the Midianite spies, the Midianite's intelligence system heard about that. And so they're thinking, well, we got to make a briefing to inform everybody what's going on in Israel's camp. And Gideon's taken a, a step out of his comfort zone. He's, he's a guy that's really ready to take a stand. We should be leery of that. If people catch on and follow him, this could be the beginning of the end for us. So I think when we step out and obey God, even when nobody else really sees, even when we do it in the dark of night like Gideon did, even if we do it at our own house, the enemy gets nervous. The enemy doesn't want you stepping out. We've seen this in our society all over the place. But when God's people obey, when God's people are faithful, that really panics the enemy. Well, I like to scare the enemy by, by shouting and declaring. Well, that's good too. But when you obey and submit to God, that's when he gets really nervous. I think this is kind of what happened on January 6th, the so-called insurrection that to me was a setup. And I'm not saying our political opponents are our true enemy. 
Our true enemy, we can't see. It's the, the demonic forces of unseen realms. That's, that's who our true enemy is. We'll, we'll embrace anybody that repents humbly and comes to God. But the demonic forces that are controlling a lot of the powers in America and in our state and city, they got really nervous when we started to call out cheating in the elections. If you've been in the state of Washington, you know there's always been cheating. Anytime anything is done to make sure there's election integrity, the Democrats oppose it tooth and nail. And we saw Dino Rossi many years ago win governorship, a Republican over Democrat Christian Gregoire. He won it, and they said, well, it's too close. Let's do a recount. And he agreed to do a recount, and he won again. And they said, well, let's do a third recount. Well, that time he lost. And then they say, well, you've got to resign and admit to this. Don't let this continue. And he, and he capitulated. Really strange stuff. And since then, it just seems like any time, well, not it seems like, I'm not aware of any time there's been any election integrity bills that had ever got much Democratic support. To me, that's proof of cheating. And of course, we saw that with the last presidential election, in my opinion. And I've researched this. I think Dinesh D'Souza's video about 2,000 mules is legit. And there's more information coming out recently that shows you can hack into these uh, the software that, that's supposed to count ballots. So they're getting upset. Demons behind the forces in Washington, D.C. would get upset. And so they're going to call this protest an insurrection. That's ridiculous. They're going to say that the people who own all the guns in society went into the Capitol building and never discharged a gun, never even displayed any firearms. That these people who may have done some wrong things, may have gotten a little heated, whatever. Predominantly, they, didn't, they were peaceful, as President Trump said. And they're calling this an insurrection. My goodness. Where do you get that term? Well, they're nervous when we start doing our duty, when we start doing what's expected of us and holding our elected officials accountable, the demons get nervous. Same thing here in the Pacific Northwest. When Marxists violently overtake a Seattle neighborhood, they call it a historical and peaceful protest. When violent rioters burn Portland businesses to the ground, they call it a fiery but mostly peaceful protest. Come on. See, there's a battle within our hearts, and there's a big battle in the kingdom of God in, in, in the church against fear. A lot of intimidation coming our way. Are we going to yield to that intimidation and cower? Or are we going to stand strong like Gideon did and be bold? God built, excuse me, God helped build Gideon's faith. He wouldn't just do it for him. But if Gideon was willing and wanting to build his faith, God led him to get his faith built. I believe he'll do the same for you. But faith is like a muscle, and we have a responsibility to work it. You can't do 10 push-ups and think you're going to look like Chris Hemsworth for the next 20 years. you got to work on it day after day after day. How do you work on your faith? Well, Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we're in the word, we're meditating on the word, we're speaking the word, we're declaring the word. As we, we begin to do that, it begins to build our faith. God does put the responsibility to build faith on us. What was Jesus's most common word of correction to people while he was walking around here on earth? Seems to me like his main word of correction was, oh, you of little faith. We have a responsibility to build our faith, 
but he'll help us build our faith if we submit to him. And that's what happened here with Gideon. God initiated this field trip for Gideon to go eavesdrop in the enemy's camp and get his faith built. Gideon's obedience put fear in the hearts of the enemy. Guess what? So does yours. If you'll obey to God, obey God. If you'll submit to his will, his word, do what he expects in faith, that makes the enemy nervous. That's some of the best, if not the best spiritual warfare you could ever possibly do. Wherever he's leading you in the fear of him, not in the fear of man, submit to him and obey and watch God do miracles like he did for Gideon. Let's take a one minute break and be back shortly. Two years ago, Liberty Remnant Church was founded in Spokane by a group of committed Christ followers who, believing God, sought to build a distinct local church for His glory. LRC is a simple, relational, biblical church that holds firm to the basic tenets of biblical Christianity. We believe we are to represent Christ's love, power, and wisdom in every and any facet of society. Perhaps you've seen our pastor, Jay McPherson, or others from Liberty Remnant Church, either standing up at Spokane City Hall or at a local school board meeting in the area. We believe we are called to be salt and light as we bring people to new life in Christ. If you are looking for a local church or know someone who is, please consider what God is doing at Liberty Remnant Church. We meet every Sunday at the Oakwood Inn, 7919 North Division at 10 a.m., For more information or to contact our pastor, please check out our website at libertyremnantchurch.org. Once again, that's libertyremnantchurch.org. Welcome back to the Bible and our culture. I'm Pastor J. McPherson with Liberty Remnant Church. We've been looking at the story of Gideon, and in Judges 6 and 7, God calls Gideon, God builds Gideon's faith, he whittles down his army, to less than 1% of the original amount. And that amount of 32,000 he started with was not enough to take on the Amalekites, the Midianites, and the people of the East, all sorts of armies. But God had a plan to save Israel. So in verse 19 of chapter 7, it says, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled. What a great victory. Now we know why God whittled down the 32,000 to just 300 men. He said in the previous chapter, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me. God didn't want Israel getting the glory. He didn't want the people to get the glory. The glory belongs to him alone. But the question is, how were Gideon and these final 300 men, just a remnant, going to trumpet their enemies to death? I mean, they had torches in one hand. He could do some damage with fire. But a trumpet, well, one guy with a trumpet could signal everybody else. But when they're all armed with a trumpet, that's not going to slay too many bad guys, if you know what I mean. It's a good thing those 300 men had no fear because they would have been shaken in their boots to take on these innumerable armies with just 300 guys. 
Now we know why God accommodated Gideon with four miracles of confirmation before he took this on. This was going to be an absolutely supernatural victory. This appears to be perhaps the greatest underdog story of all time. Perhaps even more than young David versus Goliath, the giant Philistine. Well, that's a pretty big underdog story, David and Goliath. I think this one is more. At least a skilled slingshot kid would have a chance. But 300 guys armed with trumpets against... All these armies, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the people of the East. I mean, they were oppressed when they had 32,000 men. How are they going to withstand with just 300? Well, here's the thing we have to understand through this story. Anyone obeying God cannot be an underdog. God's never an underdog. It's worth repeating. Anyone obeying God cannot be an underdog. So many people tell me, oh, I don't know what's going on with America. I just wish God would hurry up and judge America and consume America. There's no hope left for America. It's all, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. Like, do you not read the Bible? Do you not see the story of Gideon? Do you not see all these stories of David and, and the Hebrew children? And on and on the list goes. It's to build our faith that if we simply obey God, he has all power. He has all resources. He owns everything. He's all wise, all loving. Let's, let's just get on God's side. If we're on God's side, we cannot be an underdog. Problem is, way too many Christians try to encourage God to come join them instead of us trying to join him. Obey God. Now, up until now, the enemy in the story of Gideon has been referred to as the Midianites or Midian 16 times. But in three verses, chapter 6, verses 3 and 33, as well as uh, chapter 12, or excuse me, verse 12 in this chapter 7. They are also referred to as the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the East. So, I think Midianites is likely used as a preferred pronoun. In other words, rather than always saying Midianites, Amalekites, and the people of the East, they don't want to keep saying that over and over again, so they just summed them all up with the predominant army, the Midianites. So I guess preferred pronouns has a place when you're talking about Gentile armies. I don't know if it has a place anywhere else. You don't get preferred pronouns. You get the pronouns that God gave you. Anyhow, whether this was a confederacy or a bunch of hired mercenaries, there were multiple armies encamped together in the valley against Israel. Too many to count. Like the sand of the sea, they said. Gideon and his 300 men were armed with a pitch-covered torch, excuse me, a pitcher-covered torch, and a trumpet. They surrounded the enemy's camp with their fighting forces and all their weapons of war, which really wasn't anything. Well, doesn't it make sense that when the enemy woke in the middle of the night to the sound of 300 trumpets and saw 300 torches, they probably thought they were 300 armies. And waking up in the middle of the night in total chaos, even the bravest and smartest soldiers could fall into a panic. Because there were multiple armies, it makes sense that confusion caused them to attack each other by mistake. It seems God caused the enemy to kill the enemy, while Gideon's 300 trumpeting dudes simply watched. They just blew the trumpet, broke the pitcher off their torch, and watched the enemies kill themselves. I think this is a principle throughout scripture. God himself put fear in the Midianites. It says in verse 22, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. So we got the enemy killing the enemy. There's no way Gideon's army of 300 men, brave as they were, that they could get the victory by themselves. Not even a sliver's chance. God had to do it. But here's the thing. God would not fight on his own 
without their obedience. It took a guy like Gideon to stand up and say, let's go take on the enemy. And then it took 300 brave men to fall in line and say, yeah, let's go do what God put in your heart to do. When all that obedience, God was ready to show his power and deliver them from the oppression of the enemies of their day. Boy, this sure applies to us, I think. Our main problem is not the politicians, the news media, the entertainment industry, the university faculties, even though those are big problems, they're not our main problem. Our main issue is we have simply not moved the heart of God for his divine intervention. It's just not enough obedience or not enough faith or, or not enough passion. We're, we're too entrenched doing our own thing that we aren't sold on to doing God's thing. I think you're familiar with 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Solomon was dedicating the temple to the Lord and his presence came. He said in verse 13, God did, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Verse 14, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What a promise. Verse 13 says, hey, I'm going to, I might at times send locusts your way. I might send pestilence to you all. It's a chastening for disobedience. But if you humble yourselves, if you repent, if you pray, if you seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear and heal your land. So once again, our main problem is not the politicians. It's not the news media. It's not the entertainment industry. It's not the university staff. Those are issues. Those are problems for sure, but they're not the main problem. Our main issue is we have simply not applied 2 Chronicles 7.14 and moved God's heart for his divine intervention on behalf of our nation. If we do so, God is prepared to move with his power and turn the enemy's devices against himself. We saw here in this story... Midianites attacking Amalekites and Amalekites attacking other Gentiles and other Gentiles attacking the Midianites. The enemy was against the enemy. And that's a principle throughout scripture. In the seventh Psalm, verse 14, it says, Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. Sounds like today. Verse 15, he made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head. And his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. Ha! Basically, whatever the enemy plans to do against us, it's going to backfire. It's going to fall back on his own head. A few psalms later, in Psalm 9, verses 15 and 16, it says, The heathen have dug a pit and fallen in. They have been caught in their own trap. The Lord has revealed himself by his righteous judgment, and the wicked are trapped by their own deeds. We see this throughout scripture. Even Satan's plot to kill Jesus turned against Satan and brought the redemption and atonement for the human race that Satan was trying to avoid. Job got back double from everything Satan stole. Joseph told his brothers what they meant for evil, God turned about for good. David killed Goliath, not with a sling and stone. That started it. He knocked Goliath out with a sling and stone. But what actually killed Goliath was Goliath's own sword. I think God wants to do that today. Haman, who was set on killing Jews, you might just call Haman Hamas. It's basically the same thing, Haman Hamas. Well, 
he was going to kill Mordecai the Jew and hang him on gallows. So he had gallows built. And what happened? If you know the story, Haman was hung on the very gallows he ordered built for Mordecai the Jew. I mean, that's how it works in the kingdom of God. If you can understand where the enemy is attacking, then pray and believe that God's going to turn the attack against the enemy. Just as God encouraged Gideon's faith through an enemy soldier's dream of a barley loaf destroying Midian, so God turned the enemy against themselves. God is ready to do that. Now, don't go thinking it's an attack when you make poor decisions and reap the consequences of those decisions. That's not the enemy attacking. That's you reaping the fruit of sin or poor choices. Don't be foolish. Be wise. But there is certainly a real spiritual world going on. And if you discern that the enemy is attacking you, stand in faith and declare, enemy, you have no business attacking me. I'm going to turn it against you in the mighty name of Jesus. What you meant for evil is going to be turned about for good. Where you roll the stone, it's going to be rolled back on you. Where you dug a pit, you're going to fall into it. You are a defeated enemy and you're going to defeat your own self. Tables are going to be turned against you. The word backfire is not used in the Bible because they didn't have firearms. Right? So how are you going to have a firearm backfire when there's no firearms? If it was, if there were firearms in the Bible, I think the Bible would use the word backfire all the time when talking about the enemy's plans. That's what happened here with Midianite, the Midianites, the Malachites, and the people of the East. The enemy became the enemy's enemy. We have an opportunity, and I think we're seeing it already, the enemy's plans are being turned against themselves. The, even the nasty politicians that are trying to uh, control everything and be corrupt, it's starting to turn against them. People are getting fed up with their poor policies. They're getting fed up as they constantly are caught lying over and over again that even the liberal media has to acknowledge the corrupt Biden family and all the other corruption going on all over the place. The, the crazy border crisis where the Democrats are blaming it on the Republicans. Well, when President Trump was uh, in office, we didn't have these problems. Your decision, Biden, of not building the wall and letting people across the, the border, cutting in line and cheating, not, not enforcing our laws and enforcing our borders. That's on you, bub. And you can lie all you want and say it's the Republicans' fault, but people are going to begin to see that. Your lies are turned against you. Your attacks on your enemies are turned against you. Now, I'm not saying Biden is the enemy. Again, if he repents, if he humbles himself before God and, and turns from his wicked way, then, hey, I'll accept him. But there is demonic forces that are working through him and his administration that are shooting themselves in the foot. Their plans are backfiring. We just need some people like Gideon who are bold enough to stand up, show up, and speak up and watch our obedience to God bring miracles like it brought for Gideon. Thanks so much for being with us. Hope to catch you next time at this same place in this same channel. You can catch previous episodes of the Bible and our culture at our website, libertyremnantchurch.org, or you can find them wherever you get your podcast. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible and our culture outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can go to our website, libertyremnantchurch.org backslash give and select radio ministry. See you next week at this same time.